The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined, like always, by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not too much. We are about to go to week two, and also college football's in full swing. Let's get it. All right. This is Know the Score. Know the Score can be found on CSPN.us on the web. We can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. So we'll jump right into it. Uh, We'll talk about the U.S. Open tennis match last weekend as Serena Williams loses in the final to Naomi Osaka amid controversy involving the chair umpire. So, um, you know, this dominated uh, the sports conversation on Saturday afternoon. Um, Everybody was tuning in to see if Serena could make history by winning her 24th major uh, title. And uh, a strange thing happened on the way. Uh, They saw uh, maybe the next great young player emerge on the scene in Naomi Osaka. But unfortunately, it was what happened between Serena and the chair umpire that got all the um, publicity and all the talk instead of Naomi Osaka's great play and how she, you know, basically handled Serena from the opening jump. So, Dwayne, go ahead and give your thoughts, and then we'll delve into the the controversy and kind of, you know, what that all entailed. It seemed like the way Naomi played this weekend, or last weekend, I should say, was kind of a symbolism of changing of the guard. So it's kind of like the way Naomi trained and was brought up by her dad, kind of similar to how Richard Williams did with Venus and Serena. And, you know, it's kind of like parallel to what's going on. And I think, you know, Naomi Osaka has come pretty much early. And, you know, props to her. She thoroughly played a great, a great match, a great, great, um, great play throughout, and you know, controversy aside and whatnot, it was really impressive. And you know, the future of women's tennis is so bright. You got, uh, you got Naomi Osaka, you got Sloane Stephen, you have Madison Keys, you have so many other stars, and of course, you still have you know Serena, who's still you know, Serena. So this really kind of just makes it wonder, you know, the way Naomi Osaka handles Serena Williams, you know, she leads to me in championships or in first or in preliminary rounds down the road. Will they be able to, you know, create a nice little friendly rivalry, a nice little competitive rivalry? You know, I think, you know, it's going to be good for the game and, it's gonna be great for it's gonna be great for you know people who always say Serena dominates. You know, there you know there's plenty of you know young stars that 
look up to her and, you know, also want to, you know, be able to say, hey, I did this. You know, I beat the greatest of all time. So, uh, like I said, props to Naomi Osaka on her victory, especially the way she handled the victory, even navigating through all that's happened. You know, she's handled it with such grace and class. So, you know, you got to give, you know, shout out to her in and out. So, All right. Now, the controversy arised when the cheer umpire first gave Serena a warning because she uh, smashed her racket and broke her racket. And so he, she got a warning for that for some type of equipment thing that they have in tennis. You know, they have all these etiquette rules in tennis. And then, but what really got the whole situation going was that apparently Serena's coach was coaching her from the stands, which he admitted that he was trying to get her attention to give her some coaching tips. Serena did not see this coaching from the stands. And so when the chair umpire called her out on it, she took the stance of, hey, you know, I I'm not receiving any coaching. And then things escalated from there. Um, This chair umpire has been known to kind of be like a Joey Crawford of the NBA, just a really short temper, doesn't really. It's my way or no way. Yeah, doesn't really have a lot of, um, let's see, negotiating um, with when it comes to the rules. He's basically, you know, by the book, by the letter. And um, so, you know, that's just his right. That's just his demeanor and his on court presence. So, you know, this became a whole big issue that, you know, got beyond just what happens on the court as Serena, you know, demanded an apology and said that, you know, this was being escalated because of, of her being a woman and things of that nature. So. Dwayne, um, when you saw this come down and just uh, everything that's been surrounding it, what were your initial thoughts? And after having about a week to kind of digest everything and take everything in, what are your thoughts a uh, week removed from the actual controversy? Uh, well, you know, I was kind of just, I was really more, you know, like why why was this going on at this very moment? I think the timing was just off, you know. Yeah, the the racket thing is one thing, you know, I I can get that in one sense, you know, athlete's frustration, but you know, you can't you do get docked, you know, you know, for equipment. Like you said, that's tennis etiquette. So I'm not going to, you know, knock that one. It's more of the latter stages or whatever, um, you know, it's one thing to be by the book and, you know, if you're not the kind of negotiate or, you know, things of that sort, fine. But, you know, whatever was said, you know, apparently was not said in the right manner. The way it was said was not right. The way it came off wasn't right. So, I'm just really just like at that time, it was just like, you know, why, why are you doing this at this stage? You know, why are you being all, why are you being like this at this stage? After the fact kind of enraged me more, you know, 
I don't know if anybody saw that political cartoon depicting Serena as a as an ape throwing a temper tantrum and the umpire whispering to Naomi just let her win. That was more what enraged me because, you know, this is what you A depict a you know, black woman as you know, as that and and then even even with all the accolades, kind of like, is there any respect for, you know, Serena's, you know, as a black athlete, as a black woman athlete, does this still, you know, do they, does the tennis governing body, do they really accept this or not? And... So that's just really where I'm at with it. I don't really like the fact that, you know, a lot of people are coming to, you know, a lot of people are kind of like, well, nobody, nobody showed the umpire any respect, but he didn't show her any respect. So why should, you know, any fans of Serena show an umpire any respect because no respect was given there? Yeah, um, it's just one of those things where, you know, if the umpire would have had a little bit of more of a diffusing type of tone to his voice or the way that he, you know, he she got defensive, then he got defensive and then it became, you know, a standoff of wheels of, of who's going to, you know, overcome who. And I think that's why it got so heated and why it went on for so long. Because nobody was willing to kind of come up off of their stance. And, you know, the umpire himself is the person who kind of has to make sure that that situation doesn't escalate beyond that, because that's kind of what he's there for. He's to, you know, to make sure that things are evenly played and that the match, you know, maintains its pace and credibility and things like that. So, yeah, it's just a, you know, a a lesson that probably hopefully he can learn from. That, you know, a lot of times it's not what you say to people, it's the tone that you use and, um, you know, start showing some more respect. You know, he can still be himself as far as, hey, I'm going to call this down the line and give no breaks and there's no quarter. If you violate the rules, you're in violation. I'm going to call you on it. But he just has to, you know, maybe learn from this and say, hey, my tone or, you know, the way that I deliver these messages needs to change. All right. Like my mom always said, hey, what you say is how you say it. So. Right. Right. So, again, congratulations to Naomi Osaka. I mean, she's had the brightest moment of her young life, you know, pretty much overshadowed and dampened by an incident um, and controversy where she didn't really get a chance to, you know, get all the accolades and all the acceptance that that she probably should for being so young and Really, if you watch the match and look at the score of the match, I mean, Serena wasn't close in this match at all. And so we didn't get a chance to really celebrate that for Naomi Osaka. So hopefully she can, you know, get a second major win and then everybody can, you know, give her all the praise and and talk about how bright her future is and have the focus be solely on her and not uh, things that were involved in the match that happened outside of the playing of the match. So once again, congratulations to her. And, um, you know, we'll see where this goes going forward with, um, you know, starting next year and finishing off the year, the tennis year, because that was the last major 
So they have the Davis Cup and, you know, kind of those fun little things coming up now. So next, um, when the Australian Open comes back around and this guy is in the forefront again, we'll see if he's learned anything. Next, we're going to shift over to week one of the National Football League. Uh, the major headlines we're going to start with the Browns and the Steelers tie at 21. Um, just a <laughs> folly of a game played in some really bad conditions. Um, just basically a head scratcher for the Steelers. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick leads the Bucks to an upset victory over the Saints on the road. 48 to 40. Ryan Fitzpatrick with five touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes throws for four touchdowns, no interceptions, and his first start in the Chiefs' 38-28 victory over the Chargers. Aaron Rodgers returns after leaving the game with a leg injury to lead the Packers to a fourth-quarter comeback win over the Bears, 24-23. My heart goes out to Jade to the max. And Sam Darnold and the Jets' defense dismantled the Lions, 48-17. So, Dwayne, out of those kind of five or six headlines there. Which one stood out to you as the most shocking development of week one? Well, if you have to ask me out of all of those, those are definitely the Buccaneers over the Saints in the Superdome. I mean, let's just face it. I mean, let's New Orleans was coming in defending NFC South champs. You know, they were a Stefan Diggs, miraculous touchdown away from, a NFC title game appearance and they have weapons and we just thought that the Buccaneers, Jameis Winston's out, Brian Fitzpatrick's in, we know we've seen Fitz tragic happen and we've seen Fitz magic happen so we didn't know what was going to happen and this week we got Fitz magic and you know not only did he throw five touchdowns, he ran for another one and and so that was a definite, probably the biggest shocker. Uh, the Steelers-Browns game, that was a fun one watching that one because of the fact that, you know, Cleveland was doing not-so-Cleveland things, and then it ended up uh, ending with the Cleveland thing. So we thought, hey, the Browns might actually pull this victory off, and the block field goal became apparent that it is still the Cleveland Browns. And, um, Before you move on like, to their next point, my whole frustration with Cleveland in this game is that they waited till there was like four minutes to go in the fourth quarter to start throwing the ball down the field on the outside. Like everybody knows that the Steelers' weakness is their cornerbacks. But right. the whole game, they're throwing these inside routes to their tight end. They're throwing running back check downs. And me and my buddy are watching the game together going, why are they acting like they don't have Landry and Josh Gordon? When are they ever going to throw them the ball? And- well, Jarvis Landry's already been known to run east and west instead of north and <laughs> south. So that's one thing. But they do have Josh Gordon, though. And so the fact that they weren't utilizing that, Tyrod Taylor – hasn't really been known to be a guy to throw the ball down the field either. So uh, he's one of those, I like to say, captain check down kind of quarterbacks anyway. Um, so that kind of did not surprise me. At the, I was wondering that in my head as I was watching it with my grandfather. 
but I was more surprised of the fact that they actually started throwing the ball down the field and ended up, you know, getting that W. Yeah, so, I mean, 13. I mean, that does, it's a W in a sense. Right. Because, hey, they did not lose, but, you know, it's more of a loss for the Steelers than anything else. So Yeah, so it'll be interesting going forward just to see. I mean, they played that game in, uh, you know, a downpour and terrible field condition. So um, it'll be interesting to see this week if they play in some relatively um, decent conditions just how the Browns attack this week if, if they, you know, try to use those weapons that are on the outside a little bit more and go less with a tight end running back type passing game. Right. Yeah, I mean, in the in the grand scheme of things, this was the remnants of uh Hurricane Tropical Storm Gordon anyway. So a lot of the a lot of that was moving up through that area and it was a sloppy game. I mean, Steelers had six turnovers. Somehow they ended up with a tie, so you could say that's a silver lining for them as well. Uh, Roethlisberger had three picks. And except to Denzel Ward, two interceptions in your first game as a pro, that's pretty impressive. I think that really shows that, you know, they got a cornerback of the future there. Yeah, we were all scratching our heads on draft day like, Denzel Ward? Are you serious? But, yeah, right. it, it turned out well for him. Right. So, at least he can say, you know, hey, he may not get another interception for the rest of the season, but he's got two. So, yep. But um, I would say also um, one one point that was not mentioned in that rundown, uh, or who really surprised me was the Washington football team. You know, shout out to you, Don, and they looked very, very impressive and. In the game, I mean, granted, I mean, let's not downplay the fact that it's the Cardinals, but let's also just say, you know, Adrian Peterson ran wild, Alex Smith looked decent, and, you know, for at least a week, you know, Washington starts 1-0 like you were hoping for. Yeah, um, what was most impressive was uh, we did that against the Cardinals' strongest unit, which is their defense, so that was very encouraging to see the running game Uh, be as uh, dominant as it was we controlled the first half I think we had the ball for like 26 minutes or something like that crazy of the first half just on being able to um, you know pick up uh, good yarders on first down and convert the short third downs Um, very impressed with the way that Alex Smith was able to keep some plays alive there's some quick pressures that he was able to you know move around in the pocket and extend the plays and and, you know take um plays that would have been negative in the past and turn them into three and four yard gains just to, you know, keep the chains moving. So I was very impressed by that. I was very impressed by the defensive line and the defense for the first three quarters in the fourth quarter, they got a little bit sloppy and I gave up some, uh, gave up some yardage and, and let the uh, Cardinals get in the end zone. But I think I was most encouraged by just seeing uh, the offensive line at Adrian Peterson work so well together. I mean, that's the first really impressive running attack, put together for a whole game that the team has had since the Shanahan's were coaching and they did it in a bunch of different ways. It wasn't just Adrian Peterson lineup in the I formation. Uh, they ran a lot of, um, you know, of the read option kind of shotgun runs. And that hasn't really been a big part of Adrian Peterson's career. He really doesn't like to kind of run out of the shotgun because he doesn't get a chance to kind of look at the defense and things pre-snap 
like he does from the eye back, but he adjusted really well and, and had a lot of, you know, 10, 12 yard runs. Like he was going to break a couple there. One more tackle here, one more tackle there. He could have got, you know, a really big one. But all in all, I was definitely uh, impressed and satisfied with the team starting out 1 0 for the first time under uh, Coach um, Coach Gruden. So, um, yeah, that was cool. Um, what really impressed me, though, was while I was keeping one eye on that game, I was looking at my fantasy team and going, okay, need a few points from the Chargers here. Jared Goff is going to do his thing. I could probably sneak me a win out. And then the Chiefs just went crazy, and they was clowning. Andy Reid was pulling out all kinds of trick plays around the goal line. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was putting dimes on people, Tyreek Hill jumping over folks, grabbing balls. It, it was just a fantastic display for basically a rookie quarterback. I didn't think that he was going to have that kind of success against the Chargers. I know that the Chargers were missing Bosa, but, I mean, that doesn't mean that their secondary hitting that good. But uh, Patrick Mahomes made him look bad. So um, I was definitely impressed by him. And um, Andy Reid's offense is just so fun to watch. It has a lot of college um, things in it and misdirections and little guys, you know, moving around. So the Chiefs are definitely going to be a team that are going to be fun to watch all year. I don't know if Patrick Mahomes is going to go for four touchdowns and no interceptions every week. But, um, you know, they can definitely do a lot more things with him and his ability to go down the field than they've had with, um, you know, Alex Smith in the last few few years. So, Right. And then also what I liked, too, was the debut of Sam Darnold. I mean, he threw a pick six on his first pass. It looked like it was going to be another disaster start for his career and for the Jets. But they regrouped pretty quickly. And we were reminded of, hey, Matt Patricia is not a good defensive coach. Uh, he did not have the power of Tom Brady to bail him out. So, um, and that's where the difference was very apparent. I mean, yeah, the they did force a couple turnovers. You know, they got a fumble recovery. But they also gave up, the defense gave up 42 points. Um even though they scored six, it was just an ugly game all around for the for the Detroit Lions. Um, I probably would if I'm if I'm a Lions fan, I'm hoping that you know things turn around. We know everybody, I'm, we know Bill Belichick is one of the, if not the best head coach of all time, definitely the best head coach in this era of football. But that coaching tree has a lot of dead branches on it, to be honest. And this could be another dead branch here if we're if we're really looking at it. I mean, look at I love how people get love to praise Belichick. He's done a great job, but I mean, he's had the best quarterback in the league, unquestioned for his whole tenure. Now, if you go back to the Belichick that was in Cleveland. And he had he was the same coach. He just, you know, never had a quarterback that was any good. He was gonna have a quarterback until Art Modell pulled that up. Remember, Cleveland was off to a good start before they announced that move to Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just think that if you look at the other coaches that have, you know, kind of come out from his stable, what's the best quarterback that they've had to go with them? I mean, um, when um, my man, um, offensive coordinator, I can't think of his name right now, when he was in Denver, 
he had Tim Tebow. You know, he made it work, but you know that's not a sustainable, you know, thing that wasn't going to get him. McDaniels. Yeah, McDaniel's. Yeah. You know, that wasn't going to be something that was going to keep him as a head coach for fifteen seasons. You know, with Tim Tebow as quarterback. Um, you know, well, that was more Elway than anything else. Right, but you know, I'm just saying, you know, it, quarter having a great quarterback, not a good quarterback, a great quarterback, like you said, for Patricia, can overcome so many warts on a football team, and a lot of coaches get in these situations where they don't have a great quarterback. They might have a good to average quarterback, and that gets you about four or five years. That's kind of where uh, Jay Gruden is. He's had good to average quarterbacks, and he survived five years, and now he's at a point where you know he's got to really pull something out of his hat to kind of keep it to keep going on beyond this at least as the coach of the Washington football team so I just think if you pair up coaches and great quarterbacks I think that you'll find a direct correlation to success yeah I can I can agree with that to an extent I mean yeah let's uh, yeah let's let's also Say you also have a good defense too, you know, because, but like you say, you got a great quarterback like Brady that bailed out the Patriots defense because, you know, the Patriots defense had a lot of gashes in it, especially under the uh, Matt Patricia era. And, you know, Matthew Stafford is a decent quarterback, but, you know, he can't overcome, overcome that. So, If I, I was, do agree. If I, I do agree with that to a point. Okay. You know, um, but I also think you know, like it, it's the biggest what if. You know, what if, what if Armandale didn't pull that Cleveland Browns move in '95 before going to Baltimore? Because Cleveland that year, Cleveland was supposed to have had one of the best teams primed and ready to take the AFC Central at the time. And even you know make a deep run in the playoffs, and and everything the momentum was just taken away when you know when they announced that move, you know with the whole heartbreaking Cleveland fan support gone, players distracted at this point, like what are they gonna do? And you know after that, it was really did look like you know we would never see Bill Belichick coach again. If I'm a fan of the Jets. I was more encouraged. I would be more encouraged by their defense. Their defense was a beast. They got a lot of turnovers. They created a lot of pressure. They um, was, were really good against the run. So if you're going to have a rookie quarterback, you're going to need a really stout defense. And at least for week one, the Jets defense looked really, really stout. So I think I would I would be looking for them, uh, you know, that what their defense does uh, this week coming up. They kind of see if they can keep that as a part of their, you know, game plan, just play good, solid defense, cause a few turnovers, give your young quarterback short fields to work with, and, you know, basically try to, you know, if he makes a mistake, they kind of were erasing the mistakes he was making, at least against the yeah. Lions. So we'll see how long they can keep that up. And then yeah, – um, Speaking okay. of – yeah, speaking of style defenses, what about the Panthers, though? They sacked that Prescott six times, forced a fumble at the uh, on the final possession. And that 16-8 win over Dallas, you know, definitely uh, the Panthers defense looked very, very good in that game. Uh, Cam Newton got a touchdown. 
had a 65% completion percentage, which is ideally what North Turner wanted. Uh, didn't get the ball down the field as much as, as you know, we would have liked. But, you know, Carolina, that was a stout, very, very great performance by by the Panthers' defense in that game. Yeah, it basically played out like we uh, previewed it would last week. It's just the team that could generate a little bit of offense would probably be the winner. And the Panthers were able to, you know, keep themselves on the field, uh, making some third downs and, and getting some drives, completing some drives more than the Cowboys were. They just looked out of sync. They looked like a team who hadn't played together as an offense all preseason. Um, it, to me, it, it, I didn't think that they really gave Dak, the, um, I mean, excuse me, Zeke, the ball enough. It was probably late in the third quarter into the fourth quarter before they really started to kind of feature him. Yeah, I, I just didn't. I just didn't understand what Dallas's game plan was coming into this game. The, the first eight carries of the first eight carries before he broke that run in the third quarter, uh, he only had twenty yards on eight carries. So, but that's the, the run problem. Game. He only had eight carries. Yeah, and I think they were kind of like hitting the panic button in that first half. They're like, okay. He's not running the ball like we – because, you know, they're used to Zeke going off in, like, the first three or four carries of the game. And when they realized by the eighth carry, he's only got 20 yards, I think Jason Garrett kind of hit the panic button and kind of was trying to do something different and then decided to go back to Zeke when the alternate things were working. And then, you know, he kind of got going in that – in that third quarter, you know, but, you know, he didn't get the ball enough. I think they pushed that panic button a little too quickly there as well. And another thing that was very hidden is that Dallas doesn't have Dan Bailey anymore, and uh, their field goal kicker missed uh, a field goal that Dan Bailey would have knocked through the uprights right down the middle. So, you know, it could have been 18 to 11 or 16 to 11, excuse me. And then, you know, they're they're going down there not having to try to get a touchdown in the two-point conversion. They could have just maybe went played for the touchdown. But those right. those hidden points by not having Dan Bailey, I think it's going to cost them all season long. Absolutely. Yeah. And even, you know, it could have even been 17 day. It could have been instead of 16 to 8, I mean, because, you know, people don't know how to line up for a extra point by putting your – by the right guard putting the leg in the way of the long snapper. So it hits the leg and you can't get the kickoff. That's why they ended up with 16. Carolina did. All right. And uh, we'll wrap it up by just talking about Aaron Rodgers um, taking a sack, getting his knee landed on, um, getting, you know, carted off the field. And then coming back after halftime, it looks like the Bears are going to, you know, win this game. They They're up. You know, decent uh, two scores. Nothing. Yeah, they're up twenty three nothing. They're actually twenty nothing. I think it was twenty nothing. Yeah, yeah twenty to nothing. Um, you know, they seem to be in full control. Their defense is just looking like the reincarnation of the eighty five Bears. Khalil Mack is out here just harassing, earning his, earning his money, right? Harassing Deshaun Kaiser, making his life miserable. And then you know, Jesus came back on the field, and uh, the Bears. <laughs> The Bears only got a field goal that they actually played to get in the fourth quarter, which was basically the game for them. If they could have held on to the ball and went for it on first on fourth down to make a first down, 
they probably wouldn't have ever gave the ball back to Aaron Rodgers, but they kicked the field goal in the red zone. Red zone field goals will get you beat. And it was a 23-17, to 17 and uh, Kyle they Fuller. Prevents, well, and they prevented themselves from victory. It really wasn't a prevent. It was a man-to-man, but Kyle Fuller dropped the interception to play before that that would have iced yeah, the game. And then, that, then Aaron yeah. Rodgers moves around a little bit in the pocket on one leg and finds uh, Cobb, and he breaks a tackle, and there's nobody in the middle of the field because they were playing kind of like a zero coverage. And he streaks down the middle of the field and goes in for the touchdown. And, you know, puts the Packers up 24-23. Mitchell Trubisky can't get him into field goal range um, on the next drive and his two-minute drive. And there we go. And that legend of Aaron Rodgers grows and grows and grows. And he earned his money as well. Highest played players on opposite sides of the field at the same time, both earning – they earned their keep. So, um, it's just – Wizardry of Aaron Rodgers just overcame the overcame it in the end, and the torture of the Chicago Bears continues. Yeah, I was gonna actually in the third quarter. I was actually beginning of the fourth quarter, really about midway through the fourth quarter. I was gonna send Jade to the max of text, like, "Oh, y'all looking good. Y'all are gonna get this one." But something just told me, like, you know what? If I send this text, she's going to be like, don't talk to me like this. You know, Aaron Rodgers plays for the other team. And uh, so I held back. And unfortunately, yeah, Aaron Rodgers still plays for the other team. I haven't checked on Jane. Is she okay? Um, We might need to to bring her back, see how she feels about that. (laughs) She's not happy. She doesn't have uh, much love for Aaron Rodgers at all. (laughs) Yeah, the text messages after the game were just pure comedy but you can feel her pain oh yeah for sure so is there uh any other thing any other game the monday night game between the raiders and rams or um giants and jaguars any of those other type of games that i didn't really highlight that you want to talk about um well the bizarre the two are the two lightning delays in miami kind of stood out to me and uh Game that usually lasts three hours, lasted six hours, and you know the Dolphins escaped with the win. Mariota got hurt, um, not the start for Mike Rabel era with the with the dark blue helmets for the Titans. Um, Delaney Walker golfer of the year. That was I mean we probably will get touch on that a little bit later, but it was just not a. I think so many so many factors were in that game that. That kind of just, I thought Tennessee would have a better start, especially against, you know, Ryan Tannehill and the Dolphins. But, I mean, seeing Ryan Tannehill throw the ball down the field a lot more than he has in his career was kind of refreshing. You know, you got a vertical threat and can he still use him? You know, at least he doesn't have, you know, Jarvis Landry to run sideline to sideline. So that's another good thing. So, um, that kind of stood out to me. Saquon Barkley's first career touchdown. He was pretty. He was in. He was getting stuffed before he broke that run. Um, that was really the two things that stood out. Uh, shout out to Cooper Cup. Got me some points. So yeah, I can only. That's really all I got to say about that late Monday night game. Okay. Yeah. The um the Rams continued um where they left off last season, putting up thirty points. They've averaged thirty one points per game. 
uh, in the last, um, you know, basically season and going into this. So they're the highest scoring team in the league. They started a little slow, but Gurley and Golf picked it up uh, starting in the second quarter. Uh, their defense started a little slow, uh, but they picked it up in the second quarter as well. And then they basically made Derek Carr look like Derek Carr's look kind of the last year and a half. Look like David Carr. <laughs> so. Um, a tough, a tough start for uh, John Gruden, and he literally had the nerve to say, "Hey, you know, we like the pass rush in the pre in the post game <laughs> press conference." Which I'm sure, I wonder why. Yeah, which I'm really sure all the Oakland fans were just excited to hear your coach come out and say that after they trade away a, a once in a lifetime defensive rushes. end player. So, um, not the best start for John Gruden and his return to Oakland. We'll see how they look, um, you know, next week as most people know the biggest jump in NFL football comes from week one to week two. Once you get a chance to kind of get everybody together, practice time. And, you know, so teams who struggled uh, last week should improve and teams who really look good last week may come back to the mean a little bit. So you never know. Week two is always kind of a toss up. I usually take about the first month um, and then around the fifth game, I kind of start deciding, okay, what type of team, is this team is this particular team, you know, because the first month of the season, you know, you really can't tell guys are really just getting themselves in the shape to play a whole game and, and things like that. So except for the Buffalo Bills. So. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I guess we could start our next week news uh, with that. Just a reminder that this is Know the Score. I'm Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host Dwayne, the Libra Icon. So um, coming into the news for this week, yes, the Buffalo Bills are going to make a change at quarterback. They're going to go with Josh Allen. The Nathan Peterman era lasted like two quarters, a quarter and a half, and uh, he's back on the bench. So they're going to go with Josh Allen. They're going to start him. And um, if you, I have the Chargers defense this week, so I'm looking good in fantasy. Hopefully they rebound from – getting lit up by Patrick Mahomes and don't let Josh Allen do anything near what Patrick Mahomes did to him. Right. And, you know, I mean, Kelvin Benjamin doesn't catch anything. I mean, he has trouble catching the ball anyway. So I think the Chargers defense will be just fine because Kelvin Benjamin can't catch the ball. He can't catch a cold. This just brings up more of what in the hell is Buffalo's front office doing the past year and a half? Okay, you got Tyrod Taylor. What For whatever reason, Tyrod Taylor wasn't their fit. Okay, so they did everything they could to try to run him out of town. And they found out, hey, the guy who's backing him up can't play. So they had to put him back in. And despite all their sabotage, Tyrod Taylor got him into the playoffs. So the season comes back around. Offseason comes, okay, they, they get rid of Tyrod Taylor, they stick with Nathan Peterman, then they bring in A.J. McCarron, and then they draft Josh Allen. So it looks like, you know, A.J. McCarron is going to be the guy because for some reason A.J. McCarron is this quarterback commodity that all these teams wanted to get away from the Bengals. So they were fortunate enough to do it. But then A.J. McCarron gets hurt, misses the last two preseason games, and then right here at the last cut, they traded A.J. McCarron to the Raiders. Right, like Sean McDermott, what the hell are you doing? Or is this a Brandon Bean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or is this a case of different office? Is just like I don't, I don't know what different because if you got a rookie who's really people are kind of like fifty fifty on, they're like, hey, he's big, he's strong, but 
his one downfall is he's not accurate. That's pretty much a bad sign for a quarterback. Nathan, as a receiver, Kelvin Benjamin, <laughs> who complained about an accurate quarterback. Right. And then you have Nathan Peterman, who has who's thrown like 10 interceptions in the two <laughs> times that he's actually touched the field. And and this is the these are the only two guys on your roster when it was apparent that Asia McCarron was, you know, the most prepared quarterback to play at least week one for them. And they traded him. So I have no idea what Buffalo's front office is doing. They make Lovely. Bruce Allen look like Bobby Beathard with the decisions <laughs> that they've made here in the past like year. So, you know, good luck to those fans up in Buffalo. Hopefully Josh Allen, you know, once the game gets moving, he can, you know, play better than it's looked in the preseason. But it's going to be a long season for uh, the Buffalo Bills and Coach McDermott, man. Yeah, their desire to be Carolina North has totally backfired. So I don't know if they're trying to get away from the whole Carolina North thing. I mean, think about all the people in the organization that came from Carolina, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, um, Mike Tolbert, Kevin Benjamin. Yeah, so many people. And it's not working. But hey, maybe Josh Allen will be the guy. I mean, like you said, he has accuracy issues. We already had somebody who yeah, is supposed to have a number one receiver who is not a number one receiver. Uh, the number one receiver looks like it's Zay Woods, but I don't know what they're doing. Uh, like you said, good luck, Godspeed. Um, you know, it's gonna be a long, it's gonna be a long winter in Buffalo, a very long winter. Right. Uh, to round out our talk about the NFL, of course, you can't play NFL football without there being injuries. So, some major notable injuries from Week One. Uh, uh, Kenu Neal of the Falcons is out for the season with a torn ACL. Greg Olson of the Panthers refractured his foot and he will be evaluated monthly. And like you touched on earlier, Dwayne, Delaney Walker of the Titans is out for the season with a broken ankle. So, uh, yeah, so basically three major contributors uh, to each of these teams. Uh, Keanu Neal was a, you know, pro bowler uh, the last couple of years with the Falcons. Um, so, and now they, I think they're playing, are they playing Carolina this weekend? They are. And so, and so that's going to just probably open up an avenue for Christian McCaffrey because they already have problems, um, defending, uh, running backs out of the backfield. And Keanu Neal was kind of one of their, you know, main guys to help toward that. So now he's not going to be available for that game. So along along with Deion Jones, Deion Jones is on IR, but he's supposed to come back as well. He's got an injury as well. So that's two blows to the defense right there. Right. So definitely looks like that. The, uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey's probably licking his chops. Um, unfortunately though, one of the guys who helps open up the field for Christian McCaffrey, Greg Olson, uh, refractured his foot. And we'll, like we said, we will be evaluated, you know, monthly, um, a big blow for the Panthers again, because, you know, North Turner's North Turner's offense is real tight and friendly as well. So, um, so this is where you want to watch out for Ian Thomas, the rookie out of Indiana. Ian Thomas had a great preseason. He had a nice little debut. I think he's a very capable tight end who can fill in that hole. He's not. I mean, he can replace Greg Olson with the production he's done. 
But, you know, I think if he can get open and if he can find holes, that will help out McCaffrey and that offense. All right. And then um, you can tell us more about what the Titans plan to do with the loss of uh, Delaney Walker. Are they going to try to maybe go to more of a spread type offense uh, since one of their their best weapon basically on offense is down? Or you think they're going to maybe try to shrink it in and be more of a ground and pound type team? If they're going to have to go, they're going to have to go spread and they're going to need. This is where Corey Davis is going to need to be more of a – he flourished in the slot uh, this past week. So they keep putting him in the slot. Um, you know, you got Rashard Matthews as well, Tajay Sharp, Taiwan Taylor. You got, you got the guys who can – you know, you can spread them out. But I would not be surprised if they utilize Derrick Henry a lot more in this case. Especially if he can get yards, if he can get those yards, and and um, you know also with Marcus Mariota and his uh, hand problems, you know this will help protect him as well. If they go ground and pound a lot more, and it'll really help out Blaine Gabbert because Blaine Gabbert without Kyle Shanahan is a lost cause. So um, that's where I see that possibly going as well. All right. And notable matchups for week two, like we discussed the Panthers and the Falcons. We'll be squaring off the Vikings and the Packers. We'll be squaring off. We're also going to have the Patriots and Jaguars are going to be squaring off. So those are the kind of, you know, uh, highlight games of this week. Um, going to be very interesting to see that Vikings Packers game. If, uh, Aaron Rodgers does play just how well he'll be able to get out of the way of that pass rush that the Vikings are going to try to generate. So that was oh, anything else. you want to That was the Vikings that put about last year. So yeah, exactly. So that was a week one of this year's NFL season. Now we're going to transition over to, this week's college football matchups. There's only two top 25 matchups as we've uh, had a lot of games uh, in the mid-Atlantic area canceled due to the impending weather and the hurricane. But the two standout matchups this week in college football are going to be the Ohio State Buckeyes traveling down to TCU to take on the Horn Frogs. And in the SEC, we're going to have LSU travel to the Plains to take on Auburn. So first we'll start with Ohio State and TCU uh, this is going to be a home game for TCU, one of the biggest games that they've you know had at home in quite a long time. Um, Ohio State's been pretty impressive so far. Um, the the interim coach hasn't really missed a beat with Urban Meyer, um, you know, on suspension. Their offense and their running game, especially, has just looked great and phenomenal. But I think TCU Gary Patterson they usually have a really stout defensive front. And they're going to probably try to make the Ohio State quarterbacks and receivers win this game. Your take on Ohio State versus TCU? So my my take on this game is, you know, they've had uh, quite a little bit of a history in the past. So I think TCU, I mean, Fort Worth is going to be apt for this game. And, and, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of – a lot of points scored on the board. I think TCU is dope for points scored. And Ohio State's one of those teams that can, 
either either they'll shut you down defensively or they can put up a lot of points or they can do both. But I think this will be one of those games where it's going to be more like a 7 off 7 game to me. And I think even though TCU is going to be in for this game and I think college game day is probably going to be there, I'm going to go with Ohio State because, um, you know, I think they have just a little bit more talent. But if TCU does uh, pull off the W, that will not shock me one bit, and they'll be well-deserved. So that's where I see that going right there. All right. And then the other matchup that we uh, mentioned, of course, the LSU Tigers off of that impressive opening win over Miami, and then they had a cupcake win last week, are going to go play Auburn in Auburn. So this is going to be, you know, your typical – SEC, low-scoring, defensive lines, controlling the game type of game. That At least that's what we expect coming into it. But, um, you know, I think I've really been impressed with LSU. Just they're not flashing on offense. They never really have been. But they've always lacked just competent quarterback play. And I think they're going to get that this year. And I think that if they can keep their running game, keeping the, you know, keeping them out of third and long, that they have a really good shot at beating Auburn. Auburn isn't really blowing me away offensively. Uh, they still are kind of a little weak at the quarterback position as well. They have a stable at running backs, though. So, you know, they've always been, you know, team that likes to run first. And LSU is a good team against stopping the run. So they're going to have to get out of their comfort zone a little bit if they're going to want to put up some points and win. Go Auburn. That's all I got to say. I hope Auburn wins. Yeah, so that would definitely be the the game of the uh, the game of the day for sure. I think a lot of people are tuning in to see if you know if LSU was all the way back and if Auburn is as you know real as people think they are. So yeah, I, I hope I really hope Auburn does get the W. Um, um, not really feeling LSU at the moment, so yeah, obvious reasons. All right, so at this point, man, um, I'm going to turn it over to you, Dwayne, for your final thoughts. Thank yous and shout-outs. Final thoughts. Okay, so thank yous and shout-outs. Thank you. Thank you for the, you know, as always, thank you for having me done, um, being your co-host. It's been, it's always a great time. Uh, Shout-out to Jesse and Tobias. Uh, hopefully they'll come back soon. Uh, thank you to all the listeners. Thank you to, you know, everybody. And, you know, my thoughts are really, it's really towards the state of North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, the mid-Atlantic right now. Um, with uh, Florence out there, just please, please be safe. If you're on the coast and get out. You know, if you can, if not, you know, just stay safe. And, you know, even even as Italy as, you know, Charlotte, Columbia, all that, uh, stay safe as well. Watch out for those rivers and creeks to flood. So, um, you know, thoughts and prayers. I was just in North Carolina yesterday, so... Um, I just hope that everybody's okay. Um, that's my first final thought. My second final thought. Um, it goes to, it goes to, um, 
hockey and basketball next month is October, and we're going to be back on the ices, getting made in arenas again, and, you know, the Washington Capitals are ready to defend the Stanley Cup. And speaking of Washington, shout out to the Mystics on their first WNBA Finals appearance. Unfortunately, it was a sweep. They lost to the Seattle Storm last night. The Seattle Storm got their third WNBA title. Uh, shout out to Suber, Brianna Stewart, and Natasha Howard for their performances and bring the title back to Seattle. All right. I just want to let everybody know that you can support another score in the CSPN by uh, becoming a patron over at patreon.com forward slash CSPN media. We have exclusive podcasts, exclusive um, new shows from all the podcasts here on the CSPN, um, exclusive videos and things like that as well. So please uh, consider becoming a patron and supporting CSPN over at www.patreon.com forward slash CSPN media. My final thought was going to go to the Colorado Rockies. They have um, played some spectacular baseball since the All-Star break, and now they find themselves in the lead over in the National League West and poised to win their first ever divisional championship. They've got to hold off the Arizona uh, Diamondbacks and the Los Angeles Dodgers to do so, but they've uh, got about a three- or four-game lead with about 40 games to go. Uh, in this in this last little stretch here of the season for baseball. So good luck to all of the uh, Colorado Rockies fans. They've played tremendous baseball um, since the All-Star break, and now they find themselves in the catbird seat on, uh, you know, with a chance to win a division and not have to play in that, you know, wild card playing game, which is um, which is something I don't agree with. Hopefully MLB can figure out a way to kind of make that more of a series and less than a, a one-game deal. But um, so baseball playoffs are right here. We're right here on the edge of the season and the playoffs are soon be coming up. So I'm really excited for um, baseball uh, playoffs to start. So good luck to Colorado. Even though the vets are out, I am too. <laughs> good luck to Colorado. And, um, you know, it'll be very interesting just to get some new blood in the uh, in the playoffs. I always like to see new teams make it. That's why I was really excited to see Houston get in last year. A uh, team that, that hadn't been in in a while. They they went all the way and won the World Series. So, you know, it's always fun to see these teams who get hot late at the season if they can carry it through uh, to the end of the uh, baseball playoffs. So that Absolutely. would be my final thought. Absolutely. So for the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.